For you have never failed me yet. 
Father God, what we just sang is true. Our confidence is in you, the one who never fails. So Lord, what you've done in the past, way back and even as recent as an hour ago, I pray you continue to do it again and do it again tonight. We give you this night in your name, your power, and your character, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Wow, what a great night already. So glad you're here. I don't know, uh, Jamie Winship didn't show up, so I'm speaking. So sorry to let you down. There's more people here than normal. Uh, I'm guessing you're not here to see me. You're here to see another guy that's got a little bit more hair than me. Not much, but a little bit. Um, but before Jamie comes up, uh, I'm going to uh, take the offering. So the ushers are going to come and pass the pouches right now. Actually, Jamie will start uh, teaching as the offering's still going. But uh, just let me say this. If you're a guest or a visitor or somebody brought you tonight, you really are our guest. If you want to give financially, you can, but you certainly don't have to feel an obligation. This is really... Uh, a family moment for Kensington people that say this is our home. And man, if you were at the last three weeks of our uh, Intentional Acts of Kindness series, you might have got a little glimpse of where this money goes. It doesn't all just stay here and do buildings like this. A lot of it goes to global impact and local impact. And the last three weeks has been pretty stinking incredible series. And uh, we invite you back this Sunday. We start a new series called Don't Be That Guy. You know who that guy is? Don't be that guy. That's what... This weekend's about Cody will be speaking here. It's going to be great. So uh, Jamie and Donna Winship are here. I think it's just Jamie speaking though tonight, right? Yeah. So we get one half of the duo and uh, there's so many things we can say about Jamie Winship, but Cody said it just a few minutes ago when we were in here. We pray before you get in here. And some of you don't even know this, but we have a 24-hour prayer team in our prayer room that started praying yesterday about this time all through the night. It's amazing that they commit to praying an hour and keep praying the whole time. And Cody said this, when uh, Ann and I and Cody and Jenna and Don and Sue Anderson went down, what were you, two years ago? Two years ago, we went down to Houston and were trained by Donna and Jamie in uh, some listening prayer and some things you've been hearing about in this series that we've been doing at Midweek. And what's interesting is when it's of man, it dies. When it's of God, it spreads. A seed is planted and it spreads. And I tell you what, Jamie probably doesn't even know this and Donna, but they have impacted Kensington Church in so many ways, and they don't even, they're, they're not attenders here. They just come in, they speak with, on their heart, and God uses it, and we continue to, to live that out. And by the way, if you want more of this, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Troy Campus. Jamie's going to be talking about moving out in your workplace, and uh, it's going to be in the auditorium at Troy, because we think the whole place will be packed as well. So it's a little bit of what he's talking about tonight. He'll finish uh, tomorrow night. So go online. It's on our app and sign up for that. But let's give a warm welcome, a Kensington welcome to Jamie Winship. I didn't get up here. It ended before I got up here. So sorry about that. I was like, had to care. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. That was such a cheap sleazy attempt on my part, wasn't that? And you guys just did it, so I appreciate that. Thank you. I don't know what these cards are up here. It says, pass it on. Okay, that was the series. Anyway, if you weren't here for this. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks. It's great to be here. Uh, wow. We, we, um, we, so we have, we've had a really interesting month. We, we're working hard, Don and I, and the folks we work with, um, really trying to figure out the marketplace 
uh, how to share the gospel in the marketplace, what kind of language, all that sort of thing. It's been, it's been challenging. It's been fun. Uh, but, it's, you know, the only way you learn something is you just go try to do it. And uh, most people want to learn stuff without trying to do it. It's hard to do that. Um, but so we just go try and do it. It's, it's, you, know, you have to have a sense of humor about this stuff. Because uh, when it doesn't work, uh, you need to like have some, an alternative thing to talk about or do. And so anyway, we're going to talk about that tomorrow night. But um, so last, we, were, we were up late last night and then we you know, had to take the Uber at 4 a.m. this morning to get to the airport out there in Seattle, uh, where we live. Seattle's progressive, in case you didn't know that. People ask, you know, when you're in Seattle, they're like, are you a progressive? And I'm like, well, I've progressed this far, so far, so I guess. Well, aren't we all progressives or something? But um, it's funny that Dave said that about hair. So in uh, where the, the, the cool thing about Seattle is that, that even though it's a city, they try and maintain like distinct neighborhoods, and, and it's really beautiful. So you're supposed to be committed to your little area. So our area is called Finney. Finney we live on Finney Ridge. And, um, and so on, you, 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 they want you to shop on Finney Ridge, you know, not go to anywhere else. And so on Finney Ridge, there's a haircutting place called Rudy's, which is kind of a Seattle institution, these little barbershops called Rudy's. I don't know who Rudy is, but um, I'm sure he's a progressive uh, person. <laughs> and um, anyway, so this, I like this place. You just, you, you, it's, it's like all different people work in there. I don't know if they all actually work there, but they're, they're in there. And um, progressing towards haircutting career, I don't know. But, it's, but you go in and Every time I go in there, I've been going in there for a year now, and every time I walk in, the girl goes, do you have an appointment? And I would say, why? I mean, like, for what? Like, do you have to prepare, like, someone for, like, I just, like, do you want a special person? I said, why? Why? Is there a special person that does limited work? Or, like, what, How do you, what do you do? Do I make less? Do I, I'm going to be, I need an appointment. I'm going to be brief in there like that, so give me a small slot like that. But anyway, I was in there the other day, and so the guy that was cutting my hair, young guy, um, he told me we were in this conversation, and we have to go quick, because it's a short amount of time, you know, so I have to get right to it. Uh, I'm just hung on this word, progress. I have to progress to the point quickly, because, you know, so it's in my mind, because we're from Seattle, it's a progressive city. But uh, so I said to, I said, what do you, you know, besides this working at Rudy's, what, like, what's your thing? And he said, economics, which was, I was surprised by that, economics and haircutting, or the economics of haircutting. I don't know exactly what, how they related, but he was going to tell me. Um, and so I, he, so he started to explain economics, and he was actually really smart about economics. Coming from a person who knows nothing about economics, he sounded, it could have been Wikipedia the whole time, I don't know, but it sounded really good. And, he, and the more I was like, wow, you're smart. Like, the more excited he got about, you know how people do that? You're like, wow, that's smart. And they're like, well, I know more. You know, and they tell you more. So, yeah, you learn that in marriage. Like, tone it, you know, don't be too excited because there's more. Um, it's a lot more. Way more than you thought. Um, and so I, but I was, I was actually interested. And he was explaining the economic situation in the United States of America and the world. And he was really into it. But the thing was, like, he ran out of, like, things to do, you know? But he was only, like, a quarter of the way into economics. And so I was like, what? Like, it was like a professional dilemma for him. 
you know, and I was like, what's he going to do? He's out of territory, but economic territory, he's still progressing. I mean, there's a long way to go. And so he kept just recovering area, you know, just again and again with the metal, you know, just a, like this. And then we were only to voodoo economics. We had a long way to go. And it started to hurt. <laughs> but it was so funny, I didn't want it to stop. I'm like, I can't wait to talk about this somewhere. I'm going to talk about this. And so, and so he was doing it, and then we were in Reaganomics by that time, and, and he, had, he had brushed my, blown my hair, like he was blowing my hair. That's how, like, probably ought to do that, you know, like, I can't really hear the economics with that thing on. He turns it off, and he brushes off, and he undoes the thing, and I'm like, okay. And then he shakes it out, and he put it back on me. I'm like, you're kidding. He's like, we're only at the Civil War. We have... <laughs> I'm not kidding. Finally, I had to say, can we, can I come back? I can come back, like, once in a while. This will get longer. I'll come back. You continue right where you... We'll mark the spot. I thought, you know, I thought, when I left there, has, has this guy never been able to talk about what he's passionate about to anyone? Like, that's how... That's how much he wanted to say what he knew about economics. Like, um, so I, then I think, like, what the marketplace, the world is filled with people that have a lot to actually say and offer, and nobody cares. You know, like, nobody listens or something. And, uh, and I, I, like, it really, I started thinking, Lord, why, why, why do people feel like there's nowhere to, for anyone to hear what they're saying? And so what they do is they yell louder and louder. Have you noticed this? People just start screaming. There's no civil discourse. It's just this screaming and shouting and accusation and hyperbole and going back and forth. And it's anything to protect yourself and promote yourself so that you can be seen and heard and you, and, and you don't have to be afraid anymore because finally there's more people on your team than the other person's team. And, like, and, the, and the sad thing is that Christianity has just jumped right into it. We're doing the exact same thing. Um, and so we, we've been thinking, like, if we're, if, if we're going to win a city, we're going to see an entire city won, which most people don't even believe in anymore. I don't know if we ever really have. But we have to get the whole, all parts of the city. And the only way I, that we know how to do that is through the marketplace, actually. Um, so, uh, so we've been thinking about that and working on that. And uh, so one of the coolest things I've ever done, we did last week. And we've probably been thinking about this and praying about this for uh, years. I don't know, 20 years maybe. And finally last week we got the door opened for us to do this experimental thing in the marketplace. And um, I have to say it's been a long time since I've been really... Um, nervous about speaking in a certain location but this was one of one of them and I had trouble sleeping the night before and then I you know I got to the place really early and I only had they, they told me you have one you have one opportunity to speak to this group one and if if you can if you you have one hour with them and if when the, when we're done we're going to take a vote from the group and if 51 percent of them agree that what you're saying is valuable to them, we'll go forward with this idea that, that we have. 
And, um, but that's all you have is one chance. And I'll tell you, this crowd was a tough crowd. I mean, I knew they were going to be tough going in, but I came in early and sat in the back while they were doing something else, and I thought, I'm going to absolutely die here. Like, it, they, it was a brutal room, 35 people in this room, and it was a brutal room. And the guy that was before me, there was a guy actually speaking about something else before me, he didn't make it out of the room, if you know what I mean. I mean, it was, when he was done, that room was dead silent. The funny thing, like they knew who that guy was, nobody in the room knew, knows who I am. And for some reason, when they said, you can go do this, they didn't tell, the guys that got me in to be able to speak in this particular location didn't tell anyone who I was. They just arranged it so I could go in there and speak. So the guy that was moderating, and this will all make sense to you tomorrow night when I go into detail, I just can't say it on the internet. That's why I'm not going to say it right now, what we did. But, but I'll say it tomorrow and then you can tell everyone you know which is similar to the internet it's just not as progressive as the internet it's just called <laughs> gossip um but the <laughs> so um the guy before me so when he finished it was it was just dead silent I'm like wow and then the the guy that's introduced me doesn't know who I am either and he goes our next speaker is and he just looks at me and he goes that guy <laughs> that was my introduction I'm like I walk up and uh, the, the people in the room who are pro- uh, really good professionals and what they do have no idea who I am. And so I've already lost three minutes doing this. Like, <laughs> just staring at them like, I know we've never met. You don't know who I am. You don't know why I'm here. And I've got to go from zero into like in 60 minutes, they all got to vote that they want me back. So that's how I started. And the question is, how do you know... Like, and what I was going to say, I, I threw out because I watched the guy in front of me nosedive. I'm like, I'm not doing what he just did. So, unfortunately, that was all I had to do. So, while they were doing the stunning introduction of me, that guy's next, that one, I was like, okay, Lord, I need a different way to talk about what I'm going to talk about. And I need it, like, from the time it takes me to walk from the back to the front and however long, however silently I'm going to stand there going, why am I here? And they're already all like, why are you here? Like, that was the question. And so in that space, how fast can you come up with what to say into something that you've been praying for 20 years to happen and there's the opportunity to do it? Like that. So, so I wanted to tell you sort of the prerequisite to that so that when tomorrow I talk about what I actually did in there, it'll make sense to you. Unless you don't come... And then really none of this will make sense. <laughs> Tonight won't make any sense. I'm just warning you. Because <laughs> if I start, we have to like progress into tomorrow night, you know. But so anyway. So, so, uh, so a, a month ago or two months ago, because we're working on this, the language of the marketplace kind of idea. So some guys down in Atlanta asked me, they were doing a series in Atlanta we were, gonna, we're actually um, working in a marketplace thing in Atlanta, so they knew I was going to be there. And they said, would ask me, would you come in? And we're doing a series of talks on identity, and would you come in and speak on the identity of being a pioneer? And I said, okay. Uh, a biblical, the biblical perspective of being a pioneer. And I said, sure. And then I thought, is that in the Bible? Like, is pioneer in the Bible? And, um, and it's not. So <laughs> I didn't go. 
So, um, no, I did. No, it is in the Bible, but not exactly that word. Because that word's kind of pejorative, isn't it? Pioneers are like, you know, it's not a good word these days. But, so I said, yeah, that would be interesting. So I'm thinking about the word pioneer. So when you think of the word pioneer, um, you, you, like, what do you think of when you think of pioneer? Anybody? Lewis and Clark? Trailblazer? What? Yes? Okay. Yes? What? No. Sorry. No, all answers are good answers, except that one over there. But, uh, um, yeah, okay, Lewis and Clark, yes. So, right, oops, oh my gosh, I felt like a pioneer over the edge there. Um, so, um, so, a pioneer, okay, so a pioneer, that's what I thought, because we're in Seattle and Oregon, and you can go out there and stand there where Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea got there, and they're like, wow, we made it to the Pacific Ocean, and that's pretty impressive and amazing, and I was thinking, so a pioneer, like, you, a pioneer is a person in, like, New York or Washington, D.C. or New Jersey, no, probably not New Jersey, but, like, the Washington, New York, that says, you know what, we're going to pack up everything we have in a wagon, and we're going we're gonna to go to settle, you know, over in the West. And how fast does a pioneer travel? This is, here's the, here's the, here it is, here's a pioneer traveling. That's how fast you're going. If you don't bring the grandparents. I mean, that's like top speed with a nuclear family. That's it. And that's like how fast you're going. <laughs> and like, when do we get there? You know, can you imagine your kids? Are we there yet? You're like... How old are you? No, we'll be there when you're 11, you know, that kind of thing. So I think, wow, that is a slow journey, and then it's, you know, the success rate is minimal. Have you ever thought about that? Like, the people that start that actually make it all the way to the Pacific Ocean or wherever they were going, and so, and how tough those people must have been, and, and how, um, I mean, I would have never done it. I would, if, pine, if like, settling the U.S. is up to me, we'd all still be, you know, in Washington or New York City because it's just so hard. And then you encounter things you've never thought about before as you're going. Now, they, they say, well, like, they were surprised by things, but I, how surprised can you be when you're going this fast? I mean, you can't be too surprised, right? Like, there's a storm. I mean, you have a lot of warning, or like, there's a people group out there. You have a lot of time to think about it, and they still did it. Like, they had lots of, like, we're probably going to not make that. And then you walk all the way across, and then you realize, oh, there's the Rocky Mountains. Wow. We didn't know those were there. And then you have to, like, how do you, I don't know how they did it. I really don't know how they did it. So, so that's it, pioneering, we think of that. But then, but when you look in this Bible, and you look up the word pioneer, it's a Greek word. Uh, and the Greek word actually means to be the first cause of something. So it's not, it's, it's, to, it's to pioneer something means you're the first cause of something that's never happened before. And it means, so the idea is to, is to be causal, that we would live lives that are causal. So when you go into a room or a situation, you don't react to situations, you cause situations to happen. Wow. So you don't say, well, why'd you do that? Because you say, we don't say that because we're causal. We are causal, and we need to be causal. 
I feel like putting that on a shirt. Why are you doing this? Be causal. <laughs> but then no one would get it, so. Unless you're super progressive, and then you would get it. But, so, so, but that's the idea, be causal. And it's used four times in the New Testament, this idea of being a first cause. And all four times, the word is used about Jesus as being causal. Two times in Acts and two times in Hebrews. So, uh, so we started looking at that. And it, it's really quite stunning what it implies for us, this idea of being causal. Think of how much of your life you spend simply reacting to things around you. It's almost all we do. We just react. And when we react, our reaction typically is to withdraw. Right, to withdraw or, or to fight maybe, but it's one of those two because we're just reacting. How many, how, many, how many of us are thinking about, you know, when we go out in this world, we're going to be the cause of things. We're going to be the cause of what happens next, not just react to what we're waiting and just reacting to stuff. So what would that be like? What would it look like to live causally? So in this room right here are people who are the, in fact, I, I, I could probably say everyone in this room is potentially the first cause of things that have never been done before. If you're a human, and, we're, and uh, so for my faith tradition, and so I believe that I am created in the image of God, God is causal, God is not reactionary, God is causal, and God is a creator. So if I'm in that image then I also can create, I can cause things to come into being. And so as a human, what we cause to come into being are not things from nothing, but we, cause, we can take things that exist and put them together in new ways and cause new things to come out of it. So we can take what's there, we don't have to accept it the way it is. We can take what exists, put it together in a new way and create a new thing. That's what we can do. All of us in this room can do that. Which, so what would, what would determine what things we saw and put together would be based on our identity, right? So, uh, so just according to my identity, I see certain things. You would see different things. And so all of us would be causing things to happen, but what we're causing to happen would all be different. And if we were all being causal... Nothing, no obstacle out there could stop us. Conversely, if we're all being reactive, everything out there stops us. So it's easy to tell whether we're being causal or not. Are we taking over the city or are we giving the city away? Basically is the way to look at it. So if we look at this, um, so being causal is this. So how do we become causal? So one is is the intuitive mind. So the idea in the intuitive mind, here's a quote from Einstein. I was just reading, Don just gave me a book on Einstein because we're similar. <laughs> no, me, I mean me and Donna. See, you thought I meant Einstein. You so thought you were wrong. The intu- here's what Einstein said. The intuitive mind is a sacred gift. The intuitive mind is a sacred gift. And the rational mind is a faithful servant. The intuitive mind is a sacred gift and the rational mind is a faithful servant. 
We have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. We have forgotten the gift of the intuitive mind and that the rational mind serves the intuitive mind. We've made the rational mind the master and the intuitive mind is gone. When the intuitive mind is gone, we stop being causal and we just become reactionary because all we can do is move in the rational, which is just only what I can know and feel and see like this. But the intuitive mind is like this. So the intuitive mind, according to the Hebrews, poets, the intuitive mind is the spirit and the soul. And the intuitive mind can reach out and touch things beyond the rational mind, right? So when you go into the intuitive mind, or here's another word for it, prayer. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not magic. Prayer is not animistic incantations. Prayer is opening up the intuitive mind limitlessly and boundlessly. We all can do this, but we don't do it because we have killed the intuitive mind and let the rational mind lead. And the rational mind can't understand love, and the rational mind can't understand suffering, and the rational mind can't understand forgiveness, and the rational mind cannot understand grace. So when you only operate in the rational, you have given away the greatest parts of our humanity. But the intuitive mind, how fast can I access the intuitive mind? Like that. Bam, in the intuitive. Mm. So a long time ago when I was explaining this to, to a group of business people earlier in the evening yesterday, and we were talking about this, and they were challenging me on this idea of going into the intuitive mind. How fast, what is it? Like, what are you talking about, going into the intuitive mind? And I said, well, a long time ago when Don and I lived in Indonesia, and we lived there on this island of three million Muslims and us, and we were the only Westerners there, and I got in trouble because um, <laughs> I said something I shouldn't have said, which they got offended by, I don't know. But it's a crime in their country, what I said, and, um, and it's 10 years in prison for that little statement that I made, which I was way more, they took way more seriously than I did, obviously. And, um, and so, I, so I'm charged with this offense, and, you, and, and I'm not allowed to speak in the court I'm not, because they don't, I'm not a Muslim, so I'm not allowed to speak. I did make the statement. I was guilty, but I'm not allowed to speak in the court. And the sentence is 10 years, and they just come to your house because you're on an island and there's nowhere to go. And they're like, you're under arrest. And I'm like, okay. And you're going to be in court on this date, and the penalty for what you did is 10 years in prison, and you're not allowed to speak, and you can't defend yourself unless you can find a Muslim, but we all don't like you, so that's not going to happen, so we'll see you there. Well, how long can the rational mind deal with that? Like, you have no chance. So here's the rational mind. The rational mind is not all that helpful. You know, if you ever think about it, it's like not really helpful. Here's what the rational mind goes. You know where we live, don't you? Yes. This is, <laughs> me and Donna call it our roommate. Like Donna will say something that's just so rational, I'll say, is that your roommate or are you talking? Who's talking there? So this is me talking to my roommate, the rational mind. The ra my roommate says, you know we're 10,000 miles from the United States of America. Yes. And there's no way off this island. Yeah. Yes, thank you very much. 
Um, and they could come just kill you tonight if they wanted to and there's nothing you could do about it. Yeah, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. And your in-laws said you were crazy to move here in the first place. Yes. That's how the rational mind talks. Those are all facts. Facts, facts, facts. Yes, yes, yes. Then the, but the rational mind's terrible in conclusions. Therefore, you're going to die. That's pretty much all the rational mind ever comes up with is that one. You're going to die here, you know that? Yes. Right? And we like, we've got to be rational about this. I'm like, no. No, because if you're rational about it, you're not going to do anything, ever. Because you're basically just you and your roommate telling each other, one saying you're going to die, and the one going, I know, that's it. So, we have to have another person to talk to. Can you shut up for one second? Let's go up into the intuitive, and the intuitive's like, welcome. Welcome. Do you know we're 10,000 miles from the United States of America, and the intuitive mind goes, who cares? It doesn't really matter. Come, let's, let's transcend this together. Into what? Whatever you want. And the rational mind's like, this is stupid. This is stupid. And I'm like, shut up. You're going to die. I know. <laughs> We're all going to die. I know. It's over. So the intuitive mind. So you're up in the, in the intuitive mind. So I'm telling this to these business guys, not impressed with the roommate thing. They didn't like that. But, but the intuitive mind. So the intuitive mind allows me to go to a place in the same facts as the rational mind is telling me. The fact, 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 you're going to die. The intuitive mind goes, fact, 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 we're going to win. You t the, and the intuitive mind's like, I'm going to court tomorrow. Isn't that amazing? You'll get the chance to talk to the Muslims that hate you. And I'm like, it takes a while to agree with this, right? It's like, well, kind of. Yeah. And then, and didn't you want to impact this island for the kingdom? Yes. Well, this is a faster way to do it. <laughs> Did you not think of that? And then you're back to the rational mind, like, he's, he's nuts, isn't he? Yes. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You can't, you can't think like that. What, are you going to win a city for Jesus? Who are you talking to? In the intuitive mind again? Stay down here in the rational. We're going to lose. Let's just say it. It's smarter. It's smarter just to give up and be rational <laughs> like that. So in the intuitive mind, the intuitive mind allows you to create in a situation where this thing doesn't work. Isn't that what it's for? Right? So Einstein, he, that's what he was talking about. He said, I never discovered or create anything without using the intuitive mind. Because if, I, if the rational mind's already done what it can do, you've got to, tr it's not irrational, it's transrational. You transcend the rational mind up into this world. So, and then when you're up in this world and you access new ways of thinking and knowing, which is our great skill as believers, as created by God, when you, when you grab it, then you bring it down into the rational and work it out into a strategy so that the other people know what you're talking about. That's what it is. It's this up until the intuitive, God, we're going to lose here. No, we're not. Here's something you've never thought of before, and this idea comes, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that is so, it's almost crazy. Yeah, now bring it down and say it to the other people so they, as Habakkuk says, write it down so they can read it and run with it with you. That's the beauty of the rational mind. 
right? I've said this before. It's like Joshua is looking at Jericho in the rational. He's like, that, that city is so locked up tight. Man, are, how are we going to prevail there? We don't have the ability to take down a city like that. And then boom, into the intuitive mind. And in the intuitive mind, there's another voice. It's not my roommate. It's a greater voice. It's the angel of the Lord. It's God. And says, no, no, no. The angel of the Lord looks at the same facts and goes, look, they're terrified of you. And Joshua looks back again. Where where are you looking? I was looking there. Where are you looking? Who's terrified? They are. Because you're not looking through the eyes of hope. The eyes of believing what can't be seen by the rational yet. Faith, it's called. Like, look at it like that. What can we do to take that city? And then he has this idea that comes from outside of himself. And the idea is, send in the band. Do you know that story? Like, let the, send in the band. Let them go around and blow their trumpets. And you're like, wow, that's the dumbest idea I've ever. <laughs> and yet you listen and you think, wow, you know. And then you do it and it works. And wow. And then 3,000 years later, engineers are looking at that going, how did they know how to use seismic dissonance in those days? Because that's what they did. Where did that idea come from? That's not a stupid idea. That's a brilliant idea. That's not a religious idea. That's an idea that's thinking about reality, reality in a way we haven't thought of reality before. That idea is true. And it worked. How did you come up with that idea? In the intuitive, in my quiet time. Do you, do you see how we've lost track of these words and just made them religious? It's, it's us. It's, it's, it's how the system works. So this word pioneer is why don't we get what, you know what stops the intuitive mind from working? One thing shuts the intuitive mind down completely. Fear. Fear ends the intuitive mind's ability to reach up and out like this. So what we need is a pioneer who enables the intuitive mind, but we already have the intuitive mind. So we need a pioneer that can take away, once and for all, fear. And that is where Jesus is called, the pioneer. Listen to this verse, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Now putting everything in subjection to him. The brilliant, this is so brilliant, it, it's not religious, it's brilliant. It's just cognitively brilliant what this writer is saying. Putting everything in subjection to him, in, in to, subject to Jesus, he, God, left nothing outside of Jesus' control. We're so afraid everything's out of control. Listen, listen, that's the rational mind. It's out of control, it's out of control, it's out of control. Why? Because your team's not winning. It's out of control. Because your team's not winning. It's out of control. That's not true. Do you know what's out of control? Nothing is out of control. Nothing is out of control. Boy, that's a different way of thinking about things. How can that be possible? Well, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we do see 
Jesus, oh my gosh, I love that. We look out there and we go, it's out of control, it's out of control, it's out of control. The, the bad guys are winning, the good guys are losing, depending on where you live and who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. It's all relative to your team, but whatever. The good, but It's out of control. And then the writer of Hebrews saying, it's none of it's out of control, although it looks like it's out of control. But here's how we know it's not out of control because we can see Jesus. What does that mean? Because Jesus is a human being living inside an out-of-control world. And he never views it as out of control. And he never views any situation as a win-lose situation. It's only a win. That's, what, that's how he's moving. And what he's saying to humanity, the only example we have in history of a human walking around that is never in any internal conflict because he's never afraid that things are out of control. How would you like to live like that? If we could live like that, we would be going into the intuitive, down into the rational so often that we would be the first cause all the time in our life. You wouldn't be reacting to anything. You would be causing things to happen. Imagine our kids going into schools as causes of things. Not how do we protect them? How do we protect them in there? It's the, it should be the enemy going, oh no, here comes that third grader again. Ugh. Oh no, they're coming out on the, oh, they're coming out for recess. Oh brother. That kid is going to cause so much heaven here. It's going to be unbelievable. <laughs> Like, it would be like a kid who's, who's, I'm not joking, is humanly trafficked or sold into human trafficking and ends up taking over the country they're trafficked into, which is Joseph and Daniel both. That's what they do. They're saying, we're not victims. We're causes. We cause things to happen. We don't react to what happened to us. As soon as you become a victim, fear is your only way of thinking, and you're never in the intuitive ever again. You're only in the rational. That's why we can't beat human trafficking. That's why. We can do it. We can do it. I want to read this first. I'm going to give you one example, and then I'm going to stop. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because, listen to this counterintuitive, weird statement. He was, he was made lower than the angels. Mistake. He, he was up here. Now he's down here. Bad move. Right? He's not ascending. He descended. Like, is that what we want to do? Lower than the angels. Now crowned with glory. Oh. So that, that going down ended up going up. Wow. Huh. Now crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he suffered. He died. What? You mean death was good? Yes. Boy, that's counterintuitive. That's not rational. He's up there. Why? Because he suffered death. So he's the king of life. Because why? He suffered death. Wow. That means he, he, death was good? Yes. So he wasn't afraid of death? No. Why? Because death was where he won. Really? Then why are we afraid of death? Yes. Why are you afraid of death then? That nasty little roommate. You're going to die. Jesus would have said, good. 
Now crowned with glory because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He's causing something to happen. What's he causing? He's making death good. That's what he's the pioneer of. He's making suffering redemptive. We're so afraid of these things. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make, here it is, the pioneer of their salvation. The pioneer of our salvation was made perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters because he came down, he walked through all of it like us, he died for us so that we don't have to be afraid of dying ever again because, because with him, listen, you cannot die. You cannot die. Do you understand that? Like, oh, if we, if we believe this, we would be unstoppable. It, but since the children have flesh and blood, since we have flesh, he too shared in their humanity. Humanity. Why? Because we, no matter what's happening, we can say, but we do see Jesus. Like, I'm afraid now. Can death bring life? I don't, my little roommate's going, no, no, no. But we do see Jesus, and it does. It can. Since the children have blessed, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, listen, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. What did our pioneer, what did our first cause do? He took away the power of death from Satan. That's what he did. That is the devil. And free those, us, free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We're so afraid to die. And I don't mean physically necessarily. We're afraid to die in our reputation. We're afraid to do a presentation of an idea to business that gets laughed at or fails. We're afraid to die. We're afraid to die in an argument. We're afraid that our political party might lose. We're afraid, afraid, afraid of dying. And, and the fear shuts down your ability to create and be first a first cause. The fear. So the amazing thing is that Jesus didn't come just to take away death itself. He did. He, he came to take away the more deadly fear of death. The fear of death. What if you weren't afraid anymore? Since the children have flesh and blood, he did this. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the separateness of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted, us. Therefore, Hebrews says in 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, the fear that so easily and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the first cause of our faith. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you may not grow weary and faint. Run. Run. Unafraid. You cannot lose. You cannot die. Run. Get rid of the fear. Kill the roommate. Run. Run. Listen, and just don't run other people's races. You run your race. What race? God, what race do you have for me? Just yours. Don't look at anyone else's podcast. Don't compare yourself. You run your race. Do you know why? Because no one can run your race but you. Nobody can do it. Why are you looking at the other racers? You fall down when you do that. <laughs> run in your own lane. Run. Throw off the fear. I'll just say this and stop. One day, like, I don't know, three, four months ago, this, I, I was walking down the road, and I'm purposefully walking in the, intu I'm walking in the intuitive my mind. Your brain's interesting. Your brain is not your mind. There are different things. My brain, I can flick it on autopilot, and then I can go off somewhere like this, and my brain continues to know how to walk. Like, I don't have to go, step. Step, you know, it's like autopilot, like the pilot, you know, on the plane is back in the bathroom and we're, you know, we're like, what the heck is going on? He was like, the, because your brain knows how to walk. So you're walking around and, and your mind is go, let's go up in the intuitive while the brain walks around the neighborhood and the roommate's distracted by the brain. Let's go up in the intuitive, up in the intuitive mind. I'm just like, Lord, what do you want to talk about? And he says, in the way that, that I hear in my intuitive mind, he said, hey, text your friend, this friend, just tell that friend you're thinking about him. Okay. Up and down into the rational, take back over the brain, pull out my phone, text my friend in the rational, hey, thinking about you, click, boom. Back up into the intuitive, my phone dings, down into the rational, take out my phone. My friend says, hey, so funny that you texted me right now. And I'm like, Hmm. He goes, I'm talking to a person about you. I'm in the Atlanta airport right now, and this person asked me a question, and I think that what they need is to talk to you. Can I give them your name? All rational, yes. That, yes. That person calls me. That person says to me, hey, I've been thinking about, in my prayer time, this time, about doing something to stop human trafficking. Would you be interested? Yes. Yes, I've been thinking about stopping human trafficking for a long time, but don't know how to do it down here. But I have an idea up here that I'd like to do down here. She says, I've been doing that too. Let's bring these together and talk about it in the rational. Okay, get together. She says, this is what I want to do. She tells me the plan. I said, that plan has been done 10,000 times. Let's do something different than that. Let's figure out how to win traffickers to Christ. Let's start a movement of traffickers coming to Christ. It's so powerful, trafficking stops. And there are no more victims to rescue. She says, this is what she says, that cannot be done. And I said, let's go back up into the intuitive. Tell your roommate to shut up for five minutes. Let's go back up into the intuitive. Because up here, nothing's impossible. Everything's impossible with the roommate. Up here, nothing's impossible with God. Let's stay up here and talk about it. We're, we, we talk about it. I said, here's what we need. 
to do this. I've been up here talking to this a lot. So I said, we need one CIA agent, one FBI agent, one chief of police, and five marketplace people. If we have that, and they're trained the right way, they can together figure out how to shut down all the traffic lanes in the world. They can do it, we know. She said, can that be done? Yes. I start texting one CIA person, one FBI person, one police chief, and I didn't know any marketplace people yet. So I, I said, watch this. Text my CIA friend. Hey, what do you think? You want to do something crazy? Ding. Yes. Okay. Do you want to try and win? Do you want to try and stop human trafficking by taking on the traffickers? Yes. Are we killing them? No. <laughs> Tell your roommate to shut up. No. We're going to win them. How? That I'm, that's why I'm inviting you. <laughs> Would you like to meet Bob? Yes, I show her. One CIA agent, FBI. Shh, FBI friend that I just met the day before and another intuitive. Do you want to be involved in something crazy? Who's going to be involved? You? Yes. Okay, yes. Do you want to win traffickers? Yes. We have to do it. He, he says back to me, I've been thinking about this a long time. We need to base in Italy. This lady starts crying because she's been dreaming about basing in Italy. Oh, it's all coming down into the rational. He goes, I know who the traffickers are in Italy. Okay, you're on the team. Police chief, would you like to do something crazy? He sends me, here's my schedule. It's blank because he just retired. He just sends me a blank schedule. <laughs> That's yes. Yes. Do you want to be involved in... Yes, yes. We all went and met together in California. The CIA, the FBI, and police have never sat in a room together, ever, and they've never, none of them have ever been concerned about human trafficking because it's not in the national interest. So for the first time ever, these three people and a bunch of others sat in a room together in their vocations, and it, oh, I'll tell you about this tomorrow night, but in their, and in 12 hours, working together in our true identities, in the kingdom of God, using our professions, we figured out a plan that works in the rational to stop human trafficking. Yes! Yes! I know you don't believe me. Every one of you that don't believe me, tell your roommate to shut up and come, come tomorrow night and we will talk about how this causes the marketplace to be who they're supposed to be. It'll transform them and it can win way more than a city. Thank you very much. See you tomorrow. Jamie's transitions. We're sitting in the back, like wait, waiting for prayer or something like that. Hey, see ya. <laughs> Thanks, man. Hey, I'd love for you guys to stand with us. We uh, we're caught an audible tonight, so we'd like to sing it different song that we had didn't have planned so bear with us in this
more time, every voice, let's sing this chorus together. Since your breath in our lungs, we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. One time. It's your breath. Let's believe it. I wasn't born. 
be up here right now. Jamie will hang around a little bit, but he does want to get to sleep. He got up at, what, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and he's going to be speaking tomorrow night. 7 o'clock, Troy Campus, go on the app right now. Register. We'll see you there tomorrow night. And then back here on the weekend for a great series you don't want to miss. All right, God bless you. Thank you for coming. See ya.